I'm your host, Lee W. Johnson, and welcome to my podcast, where I talk about all things related to magic, witchcraft, demonolatry, and a whole load of other related things. If you would like to find out more about me, get in touch with me, or hire me for a service, please go to my website, leewjohnson.com, or check out my link tree in the description of this podcast. Welcome back. As you know, this is my channel, but if this is your first time being here, then I am Lee W. Johnson, otherwise known as Red Oak, and I speak about magic, mysticism, witchcraft, demonolatry, etc., etc., etc. All right, so today we're going to have a look at the aspect of fear, fear of failure in magic and spellwork. Okay then, fear of failure. Now, so what is fear of failure? It's basically anything that can hinder the success of uh, what you are trying to accomplish, the goals you are trying to reach. Um, now, this ties in a lot with what we might call lusting after results, uh, which is a term, as far as I know, um, originated out of chaos magic with Ray Sherwin. Uh, lusting after results is when you, after you've done your working, your spell work, your sigil work, whatever it is, you start lusting after after the results. You start um, adding other thoughts in order to kind of get it quicker, uh, which is the lusting part. But when it comes to the lusting part, you know, that's kind of what we think of as lusting. Um, but there are other aspects to this. You know, after doing spell working, we often kind of doubt ourselves and this is where the fear creeps in so we start asking questions uh, did we do it right um, should we have done it in the first place you know, after the fact um, could I have asked for more uh, you know all of these questions start hounding us and bothering us and it's the same thing as when we sit down to meditate and we get the monkey mind going crazy and which is why we meditate in order to try and quiet it down. Um, but we have all of these thoughts that crop up and start hammering away at it. Now, one other thing we'll have a look at um, towards the end is uh, fear of success. And this can often be confused with fear of failure. And they are both as disabling uh, as each other. So we're going to have a look, at, a, a, a look at that for a bit. Um, but what happens um, in this process, um, you know, when you're when you have this fear of failure? In this, we can have a look at the magician's maxim or the witch's pyramid: uh, to know, to will, to dare, to keep silent. And it's the keep silent part that you need to really take uh, advantage of here. So. In a normal case, you're doing your spell work, you're doing your working, your sigil work, whatever it is, um, and you do all the necessary things. You know what you want, you know what goal you want to reach, and therefore you go for it. You do the working, so you will and you dare, um, and you push in that intent and that desire. 
into the working itself. Then when it's finished, we have to keep silent. And that doesn't just mean keeping silent by not telling other people who can then come in with their doubts, but also keeping silent yourself. Now, we find this a lot in uh, sigil magic. Uh, the usual instructions with sigil magic from chaos magic are to burn the sigil after you've activated it. And the reason for that is so that you forget about it. You don't lust after the results. So after you've done your spell work, and it can be, it doesn't, this doesn't just pertain to sigil magic, uh, sigil working. This pertains to all types of spell work uh, and magic working. So once you've done the work itself, you then forget. Now, over time, you come to understand that, you know, all of those thoughts are going to crop up. But if you practice meditation on an ongoing basis and you you actively work at stilling the mind, and it takes a long time, it's not something that comes overnight, but you actively work at stilling the mind, um, what you find is that in the beginning you have, you know, you, you're kind of meditating and then a thought comes into your head. And it may be a while before you realize, oh, there's a thought. Um, I've kind of hooked onto it, latched onto it. And it's there it's not going away and so you have the thought come in you have the realization you have a thought and then you have the release okay and that process can take a few minutes in the beginning but what you find over time is that process becomes so instant it's like a split second so the thought comes in you realize you let go and that process is just so fast that you don't it's like you're not thinking at all. You are still doing the thinking part and the thoughts are coming through and they're racing through, but you're not, you, you know, the, the, the time that you spend on the realization and the letting go is so quick you don't actually notice it. And it's very similar here. So after you've done the spell working, you may find that you start asking all these questions, you start doubting, you start having fear. And I like to look at it sort of like a, a line from yourself to the target, and the target being your goal, um, the reason you're doing the spell work in the first place. And you do the work, and it sets off this ball of energy which starts moving along this line, this thread. And then you start thinking about, um, you know, did you do it right? Um, is it going to work? If it does, is it really what I want? All of these, these doubts, all of these um, intrusive thoughts start to happen. And they come in, and they're also energy. So they come along and they start hitting this, this thread from all different sides, all different angles. And the, the spell work is starting to go along, and it gets hit and hit and hit and hit and hit and hit. And if it's a couple of thoughts, it's fine. It can take a couple of bashings, and it will carry on to its target. But if it's many, 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 many thoughts, it's going to eventually be not completely off course. Um, but what you find is over time and with practice, you do the spell work and those thoughts come up and get released immediately. So, you know, they don't become a hindrance. So it really is a case of practicing um, and also practice meditation because that is a great tool in order to allow you to actually overcome uh, these things. So in the beginning, what can you do to prevent this? Quite simply, do your spell working, 
leave, go and have a cup of coffee and a sandwich, watch a mindless TV program, whatever it is, just get your mind off the work itself. So this is the forget part, and this is the keep silent part. You need to forget. So consume your mind with something completely and utterly random or mindless or something that totally takes your mind away from what you just did. Then when that's done, the, 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 the spell work's gone off and it's, it's doing its thing, then you can go back and clean up. Um, if you are able to stop those intrusive thoughts immediately, then you can clean up and then go and have a cup of coffee and a sandwich. Um, but that's removing yourself and uh, removing yourself from the thought itself, from the from the spell work, from what you've just done. Um, you know, distract yourself from that. That's very important. That will actually prevent or stop you from having those intrusive thoughts. But the one thing you need to remember is that that fear is natural. Those thoughts are natural. They are part of the natural process. They are part of who you are. Um, you can obviously train over time to alter that, but you've got to remember it, it is still part of the natural process. It's, it's, it's just you. And if you are still at that point where you are having those intrusive thoughts, you are having the fear, allow it. Don't try and prevent it. Don't try and squash it. Don't try and cage it. Don't try and push it away. Allow it. It's part of who you are and it's a natural thing. Um, so the main thing is to try and find a way to experience it, but not let it hinder you at the same time. And once you've experienced it, you can then start to understand it better. And through understanding things better, we can then learn how to deal with them easier. So if we complete, try and completely ignore it and try and squash it, we're not experiencing it. And through that non-experience, we are then not learning from it. Uh, we are not finding ways to actually handle it. Um, so definitely experience the fear. It's a lesson. It's something which is there to teach you, there to help you, there to aid you. Um, and, you know, it, it all depends on your perspective and your viewpoint. If you view it as something which is bad, which shouldn't be there, and you must banish it, that's one way of looking at it. If you look at it in the way that it is there to teach you, it is a lesson, uh, you can learn from it. That's a completely different approach. And that's the one you really need. So don't try and banish these fears experience them, embrace them. They are part of who you are. So if you embrace them and you, you allow them in, then you can start learning from them. And that's very important. Now, another area where we can experience this, this fear which may hinder us in a, in a fashion is through any kind of journey work. And this includes ascension work uh, within demonolatry, um, you know, when I say ascension work, it's just a term that's used in demonolatry, but it really means journey work. It means uh, moving into the um, non-ordinary realities, um, the astral worlds, the the underworld, the upper world, um, all of these different realms that we can go and visit, and even the middle world. Um, so this isn't necessarily astral projection. 
this is sitting down and getting into a trance state and doing a journey itself. Um, but what we find is that when we when we do these journeys, we may find that things are a bit blurry, a bit hazy. Uh, we can't see things properly. We can't experience them properly. And this becomes or makes things quite difficult to actually uh, understand what's what's going on as we're doing the journey. And this, in part, okay, in part, it is due to the fact that we need to exercise the muscles we need to do the work more we need to practice and through doing more work we exercise those muscles it becomes easier to do um, but in, in in part it's also it can also be due to our fear um, and this is kind of the a case where we are we may have a fear about moving into these other worlds because they are something unknown and quite often the unknown is something which we fear and that fear will then hold us back and the holding back is the part where we're not immersing ourselves properly into it and therefore things get hazy and fuzzy and we can't experience them properly so we can then work to overcome these fears themselves so that we can immerse ourselves in in this experience completely immerse ourselves in the experience which makes it more vivid and more um uh, i don't really want to use the word real because it it's real regardless but yeah it makes it more vivid more more immersive um so working on the fears can help now if you are working demonolatry um, S. Connolly has a great book called uh, Lake of Fire and it's all about ascension work so it is all about this aspect of journeying into the realms in order to experience and speak with the with the, um, the demons and divine intelligences themselves in their realm um, and there's some great exercises regarding relating to fear itself so if you are working demonolatry I definitely suggest getting that book Lake of Fire S. Connolly. Then we come to this idea of fear of success. Now, for a very, very, very long time, I thought I had a fear of failure. And when I examined it further, I realized it was actually a fear of success. And this may seem odd to a lot of people because why would anybody fear success? It's really quite simple. When you succeed at something, it's going to change your life. It's going to reshape it and remold it. And that change can be extremely fearful because we don't know what's going to happen, what's going to come. So a fear of success is quite valid and it is very, it can be very, very crippling. It creates procrastination because we, we know that if we do a particular thing, we will probably succeed and that's going to change our own creation, our own reality. And we don't know what's on the other side, therefore we fear it, and therefore we procrastinate and we don't get to do the work itself. We block ourselves, we stop ourselves. Um, so fear of success is very valid, and it's just as valid as fear of, fear of failure. But fear of success can be overcome just as fear of failure can. So what you want to try and do is 
I mean, the easy way to do this is just take the bull by the horns and just go and do it, and whatever comes, comes, and you'll just deal with it later. You have been successful in your attempt. You have been successful in your working. Therefore, whatever comes, you can handle because you can be successful again. All right, try and bear that in mind. Um, so you give your ego self some toys to play with, and you take the bull by the horns, and you just do the work, okay? Another way you can accomplish this or overcome this is by splitting your main goal, your large goal, into smaller goals. So you want to you you want to get to a certain point in your life. You want to um, build your life up to a certain thing. Um, how you have a certain goal to reach, and this is your main goal. This is a big thing. This is the thing that is going to completely and utterly change your life. What you can do is take that and break it down into smaller bits and then accomplish little bits, little stages in, increment, in incremental stages until you've actually reached that main goal. And all of those little incremental stages build on each other in order to get to that main goal. And through that, that splitting up into little bite-sized chunks, it makes it easier to digest. So as you're going along, you accomplish something small and it's not a huge change, but it is a change, enough of a change to set you on the course, set you on the path. Um, but it's not a big enough change to actually bring that fear. Um, so you kind of ease yourself through it and ease yourself into this um, completely and utterly um, life-changing experience. So, you know, try that, it, it works pretty well. Um, and that's really it. And Again, meditate. Meditation is probably one of the key tools here that you can use in order to overcome all of this. Um, in order to quiet the mind, in order to stop all of those invasive thoughts from smashing away and bashing away at your, your spell work, um, to help to overcome the fear itself so that you don't have all of those intrusive thoughts, all of those doubts. Um, meditation helps with trance work for your journeying um, and therefore it makes things uh, a lot more vivid, a lot more immersive and again meditation can help with um, fear of success as much as fear of failure um, because again the, with fear of success you're going to have intrusive thoughts come along which could knock things off course. Um, because we find that with fear of success, what often happens is we self-sabotage. Um, with fear of success, we, as we start to see that success coming in, we self-sabotage in order to stop it so that we can remain in our comfort zone, remain in our little bubble, um, because we don't want to be moved out of that comfort zone. And by succeeding, that's definitely going to move us out of, out of the comfort zone. So... As we see the success coming, we self-sabotage in order to stop it. Um, and that self-sabotage is where all the intrusive thoughts come when it comes to doing spell work. Um, so we may do a working and we see that little that working, that energy ball moving along the thread. And then we think, crap, what if we actually succeed? And then we start hammering away at it and knock it off course. So... Um, fear of success, fear of failure are just as valid as each other um, and 
don't be afraid to just do it all right as I said if you are doing magic you are doing it for a reason you want something to change in your life and if you are successful you can then therefore be successful again so if you if you made a change in your life that you find is not quite fitting what you expected then do magic again in order to alter the course um, but you've been successful therefore you can be successful again um, and on, on the side of fear of failure you've just got to try and overcome those fears and those doubts um, it's it's a case of just as I said giving your ego self toys to play with while you're doing the work uh, let the ego self go, go off so that the doubts and fears go away and just go ahead and do the work um, and then go away and forget about what you did so to allow the, the work to happen um, but what happens is over time with more success so as you do your workings and you see the results then you get a bit more confidence then the fears start to fall away one by one and you get more successes and you the fears fall away because more confidence comes and you're going to have times when things do fail uh, that's going to happen um, it may not have been the right time you may have done a spell working and realized afterwards after you've seen that there's no no results maybe there's a void of course moon when you did the working maybe there was um, uh, something with the planets maybe you were just not in good health um, it could be a million and one things it is important to keep records so definitely journal note down um, the time you did the working as much information as you can so when you realize that you didn't get the results you were after you can go back and you can check um, what time you did it uh, what the moon phase was maybe um, planetary alignments whatever you want to record whatever you think is relevant record it because as I said it could have been that you um, did the working during a void of, void of course moon and you've got the record of the time that you actually did it and then you can go back and check if there was a void of course moon if there was you realize crap should have done it at a different time that's why it didn't work so keep a record you can then learn from what you've done and you can just adjust and do it again um, and become successful all right so i think that explains the whole thing of fear of success and more Welcome back. It is Wednesday and therefore it is Ask Lee Day. Uh, if you're not sure what this is, I or you can ask a question in the comments to the video or if you're listening on the podcast, you can actually leave a voice note if you go to anchor.fm forward slash DW Johnson. It'll redirect you to the new website. Um, so you can ask a question and I'll answer it in this segment. So I have a series of questions from Deborah. So we're going to go through those. Uh, I'll see if I can get through all of them today. Otherwise, I'm going to split them between today and next week. All right, so let's do that. 
Okay, questions from Deborah. So the first one was, how do you close a portal? Now, this was mentioned last month um, in the video regarding uh, the talking board. Um, it was mentioned in one format at least. So when we talk about a portal, uh, we're talking about opening a door between worlds, okay? Now, when you cast a magical circle, when you uh, lay a compass, when you are working in a ritual space that you are defining as your magic working, you are opening doors. You are inviting spirits into your space or you are opening doors in order to go to their space, to their realm. Um, but usually, let's just focus on the normal circle casting. So what you're doing is you're going to the quarters and you're opening doors so that spirits can come through and you are shifting that space into or between the worlds, so to speak. Now, when you do that, as I said, you're opening doors. So when you finish with your ritual, your spell working, whatever you're doing in that space, what do you do? You close it. So what you do is you go the reverse, usually. You go in reverse um, from quarter to quarter or gate to gate, and you thank the spirits and you bid them farewell. And so this is really an opening and closing. And you know, when we talk about a portal, there are various ways we can open a portal. We can do it this way, or we can um, open it by actually sort of slicing through the veil, opening it up. Then when we close it, we kind of do the opposite. Um, what I tend to do is when I open up, uh, if I'm slicing and opening that way, then I'll open up and then when I'm closing, I'll push the um, opening back together again, I'll close it. And then what I'll do is I'll direct um, purple, a purple light that sort of, I'll do it with my, my fingers. I always work with these two fingers. So I point at the bottom of the rip and then I kind of move up to the top and I seal it as I move up. Okay, so that's closing a portal. If you are opening portals inadvertently, you're not knowing um, that you are opening them, then the best suggestion would be to learn what the portals feel like, what they look like. Um, you can do this by going into just a normal meditative light trance state and locating them. And in order to, order to locate them, you just reach out with your senses and you'll start finding them, you'll start feeling them, you'll start sensing where they are and then you can see what they look like. Um, then what you can do is close them and you can do this physically or you can do it mentally or astrally, whichever words we want to use, um, by just taking your hands and pushing it closed. And you can, I often, I usually use breath work as well, so I'll breathe in. And then as I'm breathing out, I will, I will forcefully, it, when you actually do this, you'll feel it's, there's a tension to it. It kind of pushes back. So it does, you do have to kind of force it. And it's not, it's not just a case of, you know, doing that. You, you really, you do end up feeling it. You feel the pushback and you have to force it closed. 
okay kind of like um, if you've got an open door on an extremely windy day and the winds blowing through the door and you're trying to push the door closed uh, you get that pushback from the wind so you keep forcing it and forcing it and forcing it until you push until you close it um, but now obviously any kind of work you do where you're working with spirits as I said it can be a magical circle uh, when you're just doing a normal circle casting it can be calling them into your space without the circle um, whatever it is you need to end it so you start the session by calling which opens and then you end it by closing um, or being, bidding them farewell wishing them a safe trip journey home whatever that that is whatever that looks like if the spirit doesn't want to go then you force it to go you say goodbye we are ending this is an ending this is closed um, we are finished here and you send them back um, and then that, through that actual practice of saying thank you bye this is finished we've ended our session you go back I go back that's closing okay so that really is the closing uh, let me just get to the next question how do you know when you are connecting with a deity do you feel them do you see them this is going to be different for everybody like a lot of things in magic um, because often you're using your psychic senses and because of that everybody's psychic senses are different they develop different differently they develop at different times um, some people it will come easy to other people they have to work at it and practice um, but how do you know when you are connecting with a deity they will reach out to you and you will it, it's I'm gonna to have to say that over time you will know um, something that I was reading earlier um, how do you know when you've you've picked the right mantra um, the answer was how do you know when you've fallen in love okay so this is really it I mean it's a feeling it's a it's a connection that you know you've got that you just you just know um, there's no kind of basic um, you know X Y and Z rule to it it really is just that you know um, do you feel it do you see them that's going to depend on your own senses um, I do feel it um, I see them in or astrally uh, with my inner eye with my inner vision or I will move into the inner temple or move into their realm and I will see them and interact with them that way um, physically do they physically manifest in front of me no they don't um, that is rare and quite frankly I don't see much of the point except for just confirming your own abilities um, and I don't have a need for that so I don't ask them to physically manifest so they don't um, so you will often get a feeling um, and it could be an emotion it could be an emotional connection um, you could feel it physically um, I have felt them physically so in a sense that is a physical manifestation 
Um, you know, they brush past me, they envelop me. Um, there's an energy that you feel um, around you and that can often be a very tangible physical feeling or visceral feeling. Mm. Um, and it's different for, for, it's not just different for everybody, you know, all the people practicing, it's also different for the spirits themselves, for the deities. Um, you may sense a particular emotion, you may sense um, a particular thought, you may um, have a particular visceral feeling, and that's going to be different for each deity. So it's it's really down to you need to practice and get used to it. Okay, next question, if I can get to it. Um, should one use a white candle with a bowl of water? You don't have to. There is no you have to do this or you have to do that. Um, the basic idea is that you, if you're setting up an altar for the first time, um, or you just want to go really simple, then just use a bowl of water or a cup of water or a mug or a glass or something, a container of water, and a white candle. These are your basics. Um, the water holds energy, which gets transferred, um, and it becomes an offering to the spirits that you're working with. And the white candle is very much kind of like a trigger. You light the white candle, you sit down, you do your work. Or it is lighting the way. Um, we can put it that way. Do you have to use a white candle? No, you don't. Um, mostly, or the main reason we would use a white candle is because it incorporates all of the colors on the light spectrum. So if you were to take all of the colors of light, remember this is light is different to pigment. So if you take all of the colors on the light spectrum and you combine them, you get white. So this is why we use often use white. It's just a representation of everything, of all within the light spectrum. If you, however, combine pigments, so if you take all of the different colors of paint, all the primary and secondary colors and you mix them together you'll probably end up with a muddy color but if you if it's the correct um, shades and tints of the colors you should end up with black and black is also a representation of fertile earth so we can use that as a representation of the earth mother herself um, and therefore, if you want to work with that aspect, if you want to work with the land, then you can use a black candle. Um, however, if you want to have a representation of your own zodiac sign, you can use a color which represents that zodiac sign. If over a period of time you're working with a particular planetary element or planetary force, you can pick the color which represents that planet. So if you, every now and again, I will work with Mars, for instance, because um, I need to do appeasement with Mars. Um, then I'll I'll put a red candle on my altar and I'll work with Mars for a while. But you know, over a, over a period of time, that will come to an end. The work is done, and I'll move on to something different so I'll use a, a different color of candle to represent something if I'm not working on anything particular I'll probably just put a white candle on there 
Um, so it doesn't have to be a white candle. It's just one of those things that we usually do because it represents all of the colors within the light spectrum. Um, and, you know, we just say, take a bowl of water and take a white candle. White candles are usually more attainable. Um, if you walk into any shop, you'll be able to find a white candle, whereas the other colors in some shops can be a bit more difficult. So white candles easier to get. It represents all of the colors on the light spectrum um, and it gives you something to light um, and create that that you know the light on the candle can represent many many things it can also represent the bringing of gnosis the bringing of knowledge um, the light betwixt the horns um, so there's lots of representations which can apply to the candle itself and the light of the candle um, so I think that answers that one I think there was one more from Deborah yes um, what are those brown beads you wear around your neck? How do you use them? Okay, so that's a mala or japa mala. Right, let me actually take it off. If I can get it off in one sweep. There we go. Okay, so this is a japa mala or mala bead. Um, this is used for mantra meditations. Um, so a, a mantra japa is the recitation of a mantra or just usually called japa or jap um, now you can count on your fingers which i'll show you just now but what this does this is a mala mala it, mala consists of 108 beads and 108 is a very divine number um, you can play around with 108 um, you can you can construct en encyclopedias that you, you can um, pick apart what the number 108 represents. Um, so 108 is a very divine number. Now what you do with this is you start with this bead here. Right, let me just stick that up there. So you'll see there's a bead with a tassel on. This is actually the 109th bead. It's called the Guru bead. Um, so the tassel represents the um, spiritual connection connection to divine self, higher self, um, such things. Uh, it also represents power, um, personal power and such things. The colors do represent uh, different things. I can't remember what the orange is now. But this is the Guru bead. So what you do is you start with the 109th bead and you hold it. This is your teacher. This is where you hold your intention. Then so you've got hold of the, the Guru bead. Then what you do is you put your middle finger over like that and you put your it's getting difficult to see you put your right, let me do it that way you put your middle finger over like that and then you hold the first bead after the guru bead okay and then you just say your mantra you slide it to the next one say your mantra slide it to the next one say your mantra slide it to the next one, say your mantra, etc, 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 and you go through all of the beads, all the way through, and then you get back to the Guru bead, and you finish. You hold the Guru bead again, you have set your intention, etc. Okay, so the mantras are usually um, to one of the gods or goddesses. Um, see what else was there? Though this particular one, is a Rudraksh uh, mala bead. So the Rudraksh tree 
um, the, or the Rudraksh itself is the are the tears of Shiva. Um, so Rudra um, is another name for Shiva, and Aksha or Aksh is means tears. So it translates to tears of Shiva. So there's two stories to this. One is that um, Shiva spent several years or several thousand years um, in in samadhi, which is a, a very deep state of meditation where you are in ecstasy and bliss. And he didn't move uh, for that time. And they noticed that he started to cry, so his tears started to come down. And the one story for this is that um, because he was in such a state of ecstasy and bliss, he was just in this blissful state and he started crying because of that uh, in pure bliss and happiness. Um, the other one is that after the meditation, he opened his eyes and he saw the suffering of humankind and he cried for them. Um, but the, the tears of Shiva then fell to earth and became the seeds of the, or became, yeah, became the seeds of the Rudraksh uh, tree. And each, these are, each one of these is a seed from the Rudraksh tree. Um, so you do, do get different molars um, that have different types of beads and depending on the, on the deity you're working with, um, you may want to have a look at actually getting a bead or a mala that represents them. Um, I bought this because I liked it. Uh, I didn't actually understand the significance or the total significance at the time, but it kind of started to fit into my own practice. Um, now, is there anything else I can say about this? I don't think so. You do get different types of um, mantras you can do, so you can say it loud, you can whisper it, or you can say it internally, mentally. Um, but either way, yeah. The the I did see a mention of something which is quite interesting. You can use one of the best times to use the mala is if you are actually in front of a fire. Um, the the fire or the agna. Um, in Hindu practice is a very significant thing. Um, there are entire fire rituals. And what you'll find is when you're in front of the fire, you start going into a trance. And so, you know, just feeding the beads through and counting that way um, frees up the, the mind. So you don't have to focus as much. Um, makes things easier. But other times you might want to, and if you don't have a bead, if you don't have a mala, then what you can do is use your hands. And this was apparently a very a much older practice, and some consider it to be a lot more powerful because you are connecting with the body itself, so you are internalizing it that way. Um, but what you usually do is you um, you split up your phalanges. Okay, so you start on this one, which is your ring finger, the middle of your ring finger. You go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Okay, so that gives you a ten. So you start there, middle of the ring finger, and you move around that way and end there. Okay, so that gives you a count of ten. Then what you do, if you want to do 108, 
then you can use both hands. So you would start start there. So you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then you would mark ten on that hand. Okay. Then you would go back here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then go twenty. Okay. And then you would do that all the way around until you get to 100. Then what you can do is you can start here at the, on the base of the little finger. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And you've got 8. That's a count of 108. So you can use your hands to uh, do japa. Um, but yeah. Alright. So I think we've gotten through all of... Uh, Deborah's questions today. Let me just double check there isn't another one. Uh, did that one? No, then it's a bunch of other people's questions. Alright, so I'm going to end today's video here. Have a good one, and I will see you next week. Cheers for now. Bye bye. This podcast was brought to you by, well, myself, Lee W. Johnson. To find out more about me, please visit my website at leewjohnson.com or check out my link tree in the description of this podcast. If you like the video format, then subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's me for this week. Hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening.